Well, at least we synced good that time. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, a podcast where we talk about the movie that got the most Oscar noms and no wins. This week, we are going to the 12th Academy Awards in 1939, which is unique because we actually know most of the movies nominated besides the one we had to watch. Um, I'm Danny Vincent. I have two other hosts on this podcast with me. Who are they? Uh, I'm I'm Sarah Kanoff. I am two of three hosts. And I am Caleb Budd. All right. So let's let's let me do my my countdown. And as I said, these movies are pretty recognizable. So first off was a movie that got 13 nominations. Gone with the Wind. It won eight of them. They were. <gasps> Outstanding production, director for Victor Fleming, actress for Vivian Lee, supporting actress for Hattie McDaniel, adapted screenplay, which is just screenplay, but I'm calling it adapted because we'll get to that later. Uh, art direction, cinematography for color, and film editing. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington had 11 nominations. It won one, which is Best Story, which would now be the equivalent of Best Original Screenplay. Wuthering Heights got eight nominations. It won Cinematography of Black and White for Mr. Greg Tolan, who we talked about on this podcast before. Now, Goodbye Mr. Chips, I like this one, got seven nominations. It won one of them, Actor, which was for Robert Donette, who played the role of Mr. Chips. I had to assume Mr. Chips was a, like, metaphor, but no, it's actually the name of the character is Mr. Chips. Uh, also, Stagecoach got seven nominations. It won two. It won Supporting Actor for someone who... For someone, I didn't write down their name for some reason. Uh, maybe Caleb knows because he's seen Stagecoach. Uh, and it also won scoring. Scoring is different from original score. Just so you know, it's more... I don't actually understand the difference, but it's different. Six nominations went to The Wizard of Oz. It won two of them. One of them, which was original score. The other, which was song for, of course, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And then The Reigns came, had six nominations, and it won for visual effects. However, there was another movie that got six nominations and no wins. And it was... Love Affair, the movie we will be talking about today. Thomas Mitchell was the actor from ah, Stagecoach. Nice. That name is familiar. Uh, is he in anything else I would have seen? Gone with the Wind. I haven't seen actually Gone and with Mr. the Wind. And Mr. Smith Goes All to right. Washington. Honestly, what? he had a pretty okay. packed year this year. Well, oh my gosh. He's also, he's Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life. I thought you were going to say he's like the uncle in Mr. Oz. It's like, dang. That'd be amazing if he got, like, all the big movies. 1939. And he's not in Love Affair, so good for him. Shall we talk about the nominations? We shall. Um, Okay, so Love Affair, as was stated, was nominated for six Academy Awards. um, For Best Picture, which lost, of course, to Gone with the Wind. Best Actress for Irene Dunn, uh, who lost to Vivian Lee for Gone with the Wind. Um, Irene Dunn was nominated uh, four more times, but never won. Um, Best Supporting Actress for Maria Uspenskaya, um, who lost to Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind. Uh, She was also nominated for a movie called Dodsworth. Um, Best Writing Original Story uh, for Mildred Cram and Leo McCary, uh, and they lost to Sidney Howard for Gone with the Wind. Um, McCary was nominated... Uh, for four more awards, uh, both directing, writing, song, um, and he ended up winning three times for various awards. Well, the woman, did she get nominated for anything again? No. Of course. She was, she was actually, <laughs> the story was, well, she was actually a magazine writer. She was a fiction writer, so she didn't really write screenplays. She did stories. Um, where am I at? Best Art Direction 
for Van Nest, uh, Paul Glass and Al Herman. Um, and they lost to Lyle R. Wheeler for Gone with the Wind. Um, Paul Glass was nominated six times. Um, and Best Song for Buddy De Silva, um, who lost to Harold Arland and Yip Harburg for Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, Buddy De Silva wasn't nominated for any other Academy Awards, but he did found Capitol Records. So. Oh, well, he's, he's doing better than any of these guys are. <laughs> <laughs> His family is probably very rich. Mr. Caleb. Do we have any historical context? Yeah, so the beginning of this movie takes place on a boat, on a cruise. Some people uh, traveling through Europe and found that interesting because in this time, uh, it'd kind of be the last time you would want to travel through Europe. Spain was, of course, in the middle of their civil war, um, and Germany was starting to kind of ratchet up their uh, preparations for invasion. And in the September of 1939, uh, the European allies uh, declared war against Germany. Um, and France, of course, which is plays a role in this film, would it won't be long till they were attacked and they would fall. So you can kind of this is a movie that would not have been made uh, in a year's time. Probably. Nice. Now, I want to ask about. Um, well, first. I do want to cover this at some point, but do you guys want to talk about the ceremony first or the movie first? Because I do want to... The ceremony has a lot of interesting facts to it. Do the ceremony first. Well, first off, this was the first ever one hosted by Bob Hope, who is kind of famously, like, the Oscar host. He is more than Billy Crystal, right? I'd have to look that up. I feel like... Because it says he did 19 Academy Awards hosting. Well, that's got to be more than Billy Crystal. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe Billy Crystal's like... I don't know. I don't know about Billy. He's he's up there a lot. Um, this was the first year that there was a special effects category. Um, and, of course, the first time that cinematography, as we said, there was a color and a black and white one. It's also the first time more than one film had more than 10 Oscar nominations. Billy Crystal hosted nine times, or has hosted. I guess he could host again, but time of recording. Yeah. Nine times. Well, they haven't had a host last few years, so we should just count that to Billy Crystal because they're practically the same thing. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. We love Billy Crystal here. We have no opinion on him. Uh, obvious fun fact, like incredibly obvious fun fact, Hattie McDaniel, first African-American to get an Academy Award. Like, everyone knows that. Now, the thing I noticed, and I don't know if you, Sarah, you were on the call yet when I said this, is that the Wikipedia article has an entire section about the lead-up to the Oscars and talking about how the buzz went. I think that's interesting. Oh. Yeah. Um, Mr. Smith goes That's to, appropriate for a year like this, yeah. I would think. It says the only ones people thought had a chance were Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and Gone with the Wind. Now, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington premiered in Washington at the National Press Club, who were offended about how they were portrayed in the film. In uh, the theme of political corruption was denounced in the U.S. Senate publicly. Uh, Senator Joe P. Kennedy, who was the U.S. ambassador to Britain, urged FDR to cease showing the film overseas because, quote, it would cause our allies to view us in an unfavorable light. However, um, Hedda Hopper, who was a gossip columnist and actress, campaigned and said this was um, the, a film as great as the Gettysburg Address and Sheila Graham who was another gossip colonist at the time, called it the best talking picture ever made, which 
Honestly, I would say, judging on what I've seen up to this point, very true. I like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a very good movie. Yeah. It is a very good movie. <laughs> Hopper is who um, Tilda Swinton's character in Hail Caesar is based off of, right? Or characters. You would know better than me. I haven't seen that in forever. Um, I think so. Now, the film, I can't figure out. It doesn't tell you here where it premieres, but I guess I could quickly go to its page to see when it opened. Um, because to me, it sounds like this was like, you know how there's always like an Academy, like right now everyone's saying like the winner of the Academy, if you guys don't follow this now, but everyone's like going, oh, Belfast has it locked up already because it's premiered at a festival. But then, you know, a movie will probably come out later on that like gets the buzz. Like that's usually what happens. Yeah. This premiered in October. Okay. In DC in October 17, 1939. Now Gone with the Wind did not premiere until December, uh, in 1939. Uh, before it premiered, of course, Capra and Jimmy Stewart were considered to be front runners to win. Of course, once Gone with the Wind came out, it uh, <laughs> it was huge, right? Uh, Biggest movie of the time. There is apparently was a Gallup poll up, taken before the release that concluded that 56.5 million people wanted to see Gone with the Wind. I'm impressed <laughs> that they have that number like on record. Wow. Yeah. However, the New York Film Critics Award was given to Wuthering Heights after 13 rounds of balloting that had the voters deadlocked between Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and Gone with the Wind, which is, makes it pretty impressive that Wuthering Heights took it. Time Mag... Well, was that like a split vote? Uh, it sounds like it. Uh, it there is yeah. no detail on here besides that. I'm honestly surprised. That I didn't know the NYFCA was around for that long. Time Magazine wanted Vivian Lee to win, and put her portrait on the Christmas edition in 1939. Um, the Hollywood Reporter predicted that Lee would win, but then also predicted Lawrence Olivier would win for, let's see what he was nominated for, Wuthering Heights. So at this point, Jimmy Stewart was out of the race. Um, I think it's interesting to have all these details. Uh, and then the West Coast papers thought Bette Davis would beat Vivian, Vivian Lee. Have y'all ever watched the YouTube channel Be Kind and Rewind? I've seen the Jack Black yeah. movie. <laughs> it's um, it's this YouTuber, and she makes uh, movies about the best actress race from or best and supporting actress races from each year. And I think this is her oldest uh, one she's done. But the whole casting of Vivian Lee it was a really interesting and very like controversial. Uh, pick and it kind of feels like the first time a fandom like tried to uh, recall a casting choice um, but I wonder how much of that influenced the voting for this like because people didn't think Vivian Lee was going to be a good choice they were like doubly impressed with her performance maybe uh, there is we have actually more about Vivian Lee later on well, there's a lot of detail I'm going to try to run through it um, but that's do you know if, um, what? sorry, do you know if if she and Lawrence Olivier were dating at the time and around uh, I, the time of all I would not know. Because they got who. married in they got married in 1940, so I don't know if the like the public wanted them both to win because they were an item. Or that's very possible, what? but I don't know the the, the wiki article. Does, I don't look up the gossip. I just look at what's <laughs> on the wiki. There's no additional me. research. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Capra, Frank Capra was the president of the Academy at this time. And for the first time ever, the f event was filmed and the rights were sold to Warner Brothers. Uh, they filmed the banquet and the presentation and 
aired it as a short, I presume in front of movies like as a newsreel. Um, for the first, this was made the first time really when people were trying to wear the best of gowns, furs, and jewelry because they knew they were being filmed. All the stars. Um, apparently, the Los Angeles Times had per- printed <laughs> the winners might have leaked. Oh, it actually looks, yeah, the winners leaked to the Los Angeles Times, and they printed the winners uh, beforehand, even though they promised they would withhold the results. So Clark Gable and Bette Davis knew the results before they arrived. Judy Gar- It opened with Mickey Rooney presenting the Juvenile Award to Julie Garland. Who, Judy, Judy Garland. Garland. I don't know why I keep saying Julie. I'm just, I'm, I know her name. I've seen the movie Judy with Renee Zellweger. No. Uh, she performed Over the Rainbow then, of course. Uh, Gone with the Wind slept, swept, obviously. And Bob Hope remarked to David O. Selznick, David, you should have brought roller skates for this. Um, <laughs> it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, Selznick paused in the middle of one of his speeches and praised and gave gratitude to Olivia de Holland, a supporting actress nominee, which made it clear that he knew that she didn't win before the award was announced. Um, and of course, Hattie McDaniel won. Which, I don't really want to get into all that. It happened. (laughs) And I've listened to some of the audio of it. And, like, it was a great achievement at the time. But it was also very Hollywood patting itself in the back. Well, she also... Well, she wasn't even going to be allowed at the ceremony until Clark Gable said he wasn't going to go. Okay, I don't have that detail. So, yeah, that that sounds about right, though. Like, that's... Sounds like Hollywood, you know, like in 1939. This all checks out. Um... The thing that always like bothers me, even though I get that it's of the time, is you know the saying in her speech where she's like, "I'm a proud to be a creditor to my race," and I know, I know that's at of the time, but I also feel like that's also very much. She was forced, not forced to, you know what I mean? Like, she had to. Like, she's expected to say it. Yes. You know, we, it is of the time, but there was also criticism of her role, um, at the time too, from um, various different organizations. Um, and it was kind of a controversial thing that the first the first win would be for such a stereotypical role. So I, I think we need to be careful when we say like it was of the time because, as with most things, there were voices that were no, pushing back against it. Of just, course, I'm, I, they weren't being amplified. I want to clarify that my my thing there was me talking about the comments she made during her speech about a credit to my race, not about the win itself, which okay, could be its yeah. whole entire podcast. Which I really can't speak of because I haven't even seen Gone with the Wind, right? Like, I, I can't speak on that. Um, Robert Donat was not at the ceremony. Along with Irene Dunn, who didn't attend. And Greta Garbo. So, Spencer Tracy accepted the award and said, uh, Well, this is welcomed by the entire motion picture industry. And then he presented Best Actress to Vivian Lee. Um, now, post-awards discussion. This is what I wanted to mention about... Vivian Lee, which is that the LA Times reported that Vivian Lee had won over the smallest margins, same with Donat, over Jimmy Stewart. This caused the Academy to really examine the voting process, but more importantly, make sure the results were secret in future years. Probably a uh, good plan. Yeah, probably. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. Only thing I ever only ever think there's stuff about Harry McDaniel. And also something about Carol Lombard, who apparently comforted Clark Gable after he lost by saying, don't worry, Pappy, we'll bring one home next year. 
And then Gable... Did he? Wait, wait, wait. Gable replied that he felt like this had been his last chance to win. And then Carol Lombard said, I wasn't talking about you, you self-centered bastard. I meant me. <laughs> um, icon. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the Academy Awards of 1939, which I guarantee you... A lot you, going on. A lot more interesting than the movie we are going to talk about. <laughs> I just like that this has a whole breakdown of the race. I don't think current Oscar like Wikipedia articles have breakdowns of like how the horses kept moving in it. I thought that was exciting. <laughs> well, people don't care as, about the Oscars as much. It's but true. this was over over ten years into it, with it was clearly growing since they were able to film it, and that was able to be a success. And like all these, um, a lot of these so, movies are very well known still. Besides, yeah, I think we're. <laughs> I think, you know, we're entering, like, the golden age of Hollywood, but also, like, or we're in the golden age of Hollywood right now with the movies we're covering, but also very much like the golden age of people caring about the Oscars. Yeah, and of course, with it being the first one that's filmed, there's actually, like, a recording of it, too, that you can look back on. So, anyway, shall we talk about Love Affair? <laughs> if we must... Now, before we talk about Love Affair, we do have to tell to the listeners that if you want to watch this movie, it's on Wikipedia. It's oh, I watched it on YouTube because it's public domain. Yeah, higher, it is in the public. It's, it's a higher quality on YouTube too. I watched it on Hoopla because um, I didn't. I was too lazy to look on YouTube. I just thought it was funny that it was offered on Wikipedia. Two forty p. Wait, should the, we talk about? Um, the, this film's successors now or like down the line? No, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, we can talk about it now. I, I enjoy avoiding to talk about this film. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this film um, sparked many, many remakes. Um, most famously, An Affair to Remember. Um, it was also remade in like the 80s. With the same title, Love Affair, with Warren Beatty and Annette Bening, also featuring Katherine Hepburn in her last role. Um, remade in 1994, remade in Bollywood twice, so lots of remakes. Um, but yeah, most McCary himself, the director, writer, most famously remade it as an affair to remember. But he always said that he. He always said that he liked this version the best. So this is a better. That one has a better cast, though. More famous cast. All right. Well, I'd say I'd say most famous doesn't mean better, but I. Cary Grant's probably a better lead than this schmuck. Whoever this guy was. I can I can do the rundown Please. real quick. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like. Okay. Uh. <laughs> There's a French painter, and he's engaged. There's an American uh, lounge singer, and she's engaged. They meet on a boat. They really like each other. They stop off in France and meet the French guy's family. They hit it off. Then they go to New York, and they're like, uh, we're engaged. Too bad. In six months, let's meet up on the Empire State Building. But uh-oh, uh, she gets hit by a car and is paralyzed. Really funny. And so, she... so funny. It's not <laughs> funny. It is very funny how they so... shoot it and reveal it. And so she avoids seeing him and then they have a couple or they have at least one kind of encounter and it's awkward 
and she's trying to hide the fact that she's a paraplegic. And then at the end, he comes to see her on Christmas. It's revealed, and he's like, ah, oh, I guess I have to go back and do this. And then he sees that she bought a painting of her that he sold, and he's like, I guess I love you now. And then the end happened. All right. Well, that's it. I'm Sarah. Thanks for I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I give it best song over over the rainbow. We're, we're gonna be real here. The reason we had that, the reason I did that whole ceremony thing was to fill our time. Because <laughs> I really, there's really and Joe will appreciate. There's that. not much to do here. Look, we like to keep well, a consistent time. Like we like to keep this to a consistent runtime. This way, till- you like to keep a consistent runtime, buddy. Get off my back. <laughs> I think me and Sarah would be fine logging off right now. We have some stuff to talk about. Well, we could talk about. There is so this movie was very controversial for obvious reasons and the fact that they shared a kiss when they were both engaged to other people. Well, you barely and, see the other two. And so the movie this is so weird. So the movie had to do some rewrites because they like they needed it to be less controversial. <laughs> they needed punishment. So her getting hit by a car was her punishment. We need We're to rewrite. cheating on her fiance. <laughs> we need to write in some karma. <laughs> Why did he get punished? No, no, no. He was allowed because the idea was is that since his job was bad, he was punished. But since she, but got she a had good, a job too. No, no, no. His <laughs> job was he wanted to be like an artist or something, and he ended up painting billboards. That's not being an artist. Her job was being the lead singer of a bar, so she needed to get punished. <laughs> she needed to get That makes some a ton of karma. sense. Because the first half of this movie, I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a bunch of prolonged conversations on a boat between two people who love each other but can't reciprocate it. I like that idea. It's not well executed here, but I like that idea. Then the car crash happens, and I'm like, where did this come from? Car crash is so funny. It's so we're not gonna really follow. We're, we usually break down it scene by scene, but we're not gonna do that today. I feel like we can. I feel confident saying that. But the car crash scene. Let me tell you. Let me describe it for the listeners. So she's in her taxi. She's going to the Empire State Building to meet her her Biff, and he's like, the taxi is like, "Well, have a good one." And she's like, "Thanks, you too." She walks out of frame, and then you just hear a. Like a loud crash, and the taxi driver like, scream. "Yeah!" And the taxi she driver screams yeah. too. And the taxi driver just like, "Oh no!" <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm talking about this. I had two things I want to talk about, but neither, neither of them are relevant to the plot. Um, <laughs> well, what are they? <laughs> well, one of them I'm not going to talk about until I talk about what award I'm giving it. Cause it has to do with that. All right, but the other one has to do with just that this took place in Washington Heights. <laughs> I knew really you were gonna bring okay. that up. It's <laughs> the only thing I, I had told to Danny. <laughs> what I told Danny that I was playing a game with myself uh, before we started recording, <laughs> and that game was see how long it takes him to mention in the Heights. <laughs> Well, she does very pointedly say, "Like, let's do it for Washington Heights." <laughs> <laughs> Look, today's all we got, so this is the block. Anyway, uh, so what's the game? It's, so are you, it's what? Do you take a shot now? Are we going to get drunk on this call? <laughs> no, now I'm just disappointed. 
I don't know why you're disappointed. Did you think it was going to be at the end? It was going to happen. <laughs> I know it was going to happen, man. That's that's why I'm disappointed. Um, it's the I, only thing to questions. note about this film is that it took place in Washington Heights. That's not the only thing. <laughs> See, I don't think this movie is even that bad. Like, I would watch this over, um, over Godfrey or Merrily We Live or probably Four Daughters. I don't know. I feel like you can hate watch the other two, and like, and then I also we I liked Four Daughters. I just for me, I just feel like I was in the right mindset for it. Like I just it's it's very slow. There's a lot of talking, and that's not a bad thing. It just I just couldn't put my attention into it. With the stronger screenplay and without the car crash, I think this is a really good idea for a film. Have I got a movie for you and a fair to remember? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, do they do the remakes? I'm not sure if y'all would know this because I doubt you've seen all of them. Do they carry? Do they take the car crash element? Pretty sure they don't. I'm pretty sure that it was cheating on your fiancés was uh, more accepted by the time that came out. It's such an important plot point. It's so weird. Like, uh what, how did how did y'all like this couple together? It was whatever. They were I, there. I, yeah, I, the thing to me is they shoot this movie, and maybe this is this is this is me probably revealing my genre bias here. Is that a movie like this to work? I have to actually like the leads, and in that case, I should think their flirting is at least like a level of fun. And I never had any fun watching these two. And I get that it's a drama, but even like a good drama is going to have, like... It's what I always say, to talk about superhero movies for a second. It's like when people, like, go, like, The Dark Knight doesn't have humor. No, it does. That's why it works, and the other, like, gritty rip-offs don't, because they don't have humor in them. And that's the view that is, like, there was no jokes to this movie. And I didn't need to be an all-out comedy, but I would have liked, like, them to be teasing each other more. Um... Like that's basically like, that's that's really what the movie amounted to me was like they, these people they're both too serious for their own good, uh, and then the, one of them gets paralyzed, uh, and then it's just like now there's no jokes and I keep reading on Letterbox people were like you can't get through the last half hour without crying and I'm like eh I mean there were like two moments where I was like oh that kind of made me feel something but like it was more because of like either it was like a good line or like. It was the grandma being like, oh, she dead now. And I was like, oh, grandma, just like in the Heights. Uh, well, spoilers. It's been out for on, on DVD for two months. And also, you know, also, may I point out, it's been unrelated on for 10 years. <laughs> it's been <laughs> unrelated, Danny. Um, but every time you bring up. Uh, so you can spoil something because it's been out for so long it shrinks so like the first time you did it on why is it was like 10 years and then it was eight months i know i and spoiled now the dvd's been out for two months well i know for a fact <laughs> a one of the unrelated like the episode at this is such a random side note on why is uh the episode after shang chi came out i spoiled the post credits of king of shang chi and then a separate episode <laughs> and i was like oops <laughs> You should just shoot straight. Be like, it'll be a more interesting conversation <laughs> if I spoil things. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, anyway. This takes place in New York. Um, 
In Washington uh, how, Heights. How yes. does it, <laughs> Washington Heights. Heights, how does this compare to other movies we've watched that have taken place uh, in New York? I mean, I think The Crowd is a, still a masterpiece. Just thought you guys all tried to convince me otherwise, so it sucks. Oh, and the way the crowd captures New York, it is definitely very good. I'm trying to think of what else. We've, I thought Aerosmith did a better job of New York, the scenes when it was there. There wasn't everyone we saw that was in New York. I feel like uh, Four Daughters did not portray Godfrey, it well. Godfrey, Dead End. Oh, yeah, Godfrey. I, I try to forget Godfrey. And Dead End, Dead End, dead end yeah. like, Lady Dead Crudet, End, yeah, okay, Dead End, door. Dead End takes place All in New York. All of them. <laughs> oh, Stage Door was good. Stage Door was good. Um, I, I say Dead End to me, though, even though it's set in New York, it's in a very stylized New York to the point where I don't, I think of it more mm-hmm. like it's a generic city block, because it very much feels like a play to me. It's like how, yeah, mm-hmm. West Side Story is set in New York, but it doesn't feel like it's New York to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like this does a slightly better job, but it feels like a tourist's view of New York. It doesn't. It feels like someone who isn't intimately familiar with the city. Well, they're they're familiar with the the problems with the traffic. Like, oh my gosh, you don't pay attention when you're crossing the street, you're gonna get hit by a car. That was a very Brooklyn accent. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Okay. <laughs> All right, I've done my bit. I've I've tried to pad out the episode as long as I can. I'm done. What are we at? What time are we at? Um, we, we, we well, have I minutes? have a few other little tidbits. Okay. So after this movie came out, <laughs> this is sound so boring. Well, after this we movie came out, we struggled not to talk about the film. <laughs> Pink champagne was on a shortage after this movie came out because they kept asking for pink champagne. Pretty interesting. Ooh. That was a fun little motif. See, here's the thing. I've never had pink champagne. Is it? Is it any good? I feel, I'm gonna taste like champagne. It tastes pink. fine. Champagne I feel like tastes great. So I feel like every ever movie we've watched, even the ones I didn't like, I understood the appeal of it at the time. This one is kind of like, how is this like the best romance of this year besides Gone with the Wind? Right. Is it because it was taboo? Because it's like... Maybe. It's taboo, but then she gets, like, paralyzed. The movie punishes her for this habit. Well, okay. I think there's also kind of this distinction because at the time, you know, Leo McCary was this, you know, comedic director. And this was his first project that was strictly drama. So I think there was some allure with that. Yeah, but, like, who in the 30s cared about the director of the movie? You know, like normal people you know i'm sure there were film snobs out there like there are today they had no twitter i mean yes auteur theory hadn't taken off yet but you know there was still an identity to film and i mean there was star power irene dunn had been nominated previously um and then what's her face the russian woman was nominated previously as well so maybe that was oh, the draw there's music here. Should we talk about the music? Oh, yeah. Okay, I thought the sound recording in this movie is terrible for the music. I, I hated it. I hated it so much. Uh, also, the other two movies do have the car crash, by the way. Uh, I, I decided to just look it up now. <laughs> Why? Why? I'm impressed with the one in the 90s does. It's just kind of like, okay... What if they both got into separate car crashes? Mamma mia. It's a spicy car crash. Should I have my Chris Pratt impression? Anyways, it's technically a musical. 
I guess it's not it's not a musical, no, but there's it's music like, in it. It's like it's like a star is born. The music is diegetic. It's not a real musical. Yeah, like that part in the Star is born where Lady Gaga gets hit by a car. <laughs> yeah. She goes And then Bradley oh, Cooper's like, oh, 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 it's all my fault. Oh, it's all me, it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a stupid Twitter meme now. <laughs> Lady Gaga gets hit by a car. <laughs> you see My the- bones are shattered. <laughs> Father, son, and my paralyzed body. Anyways, there's music in it because she's a nightclub singer. Um, again, that was, I guess, probably voice. that was probably a another draw. Is Irene Dunn singing? Because she was very musically inclined. Yeah, um, whatever. I don't think so. Terrible second boy. <laughs> I forgot every song after it happened. Well, Wishing was a very popular song. It was a cute little song. I thought it was cute. It had children in it, which is a hit or miss, but it worked the song, this time. The, the orphans were dubbed by the boys' choir, the Robert Mitchells. It became... All right, well. One of the most popular songs of 1939. Now, I'm not sure where... Keyword, what of. What of. I'm pretty sure the one that won the Oscar was more popular. (laughs) Uh, Man, I was just thinking, like, imagine if this was, like, a huge radio hit, what Wishing was, and because of that, it won the Oscar. And then, like... Now everyone would be talking about this movie. Like it would be relevant. This movie would still be relevant because it beat over the rainbow. Like people would talk about this movie a ton if it had won. In a negative connotation. In a very negative context. (laughs) We'd be like, why is this why is this nominated? This makes no sense. (laughs) Why did this win? Excuse me. Um But yeah, okay. Do we have anything else we want? Um, I do have one more thing. I'm sorry. I just think this is so stupid. I just think that movies are so stupid. So in the, in the, <laughs> I so, hate this movie now. I hate in movies. the French version, they spell the main. We haven't even talked. We didn't even ever say what the characters' names were. Or anything. <laughs> <laughs> they they spell the lead guy's name the correct way. They spell it Mar. His name is Marne, so it's um, M A R I. Wait, M-A-R-N-E-T, which is the French way. And then in the U.S. version, they spell it M-A-R-N-A-Y, because Americans are too stupid to know French. All right. So this was nominated for Oscars. Sarah, remind us what they were. I'm so sorry, listeners. If you really want to listen to us break down this film. Just watch it. Yeah, it's, it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, okay. Best Picture. Best Actress. Best Supporting Actress. Best Original Screenplay. Best Art Direction. Best Song. To remind everyone, mostly the listeners, we already talked about this, is that us giving an award doesn't mean we take it away from, like, the actual winner. Because in which case, I think we would all pick Best Picture just so that we got with the win, didn't it win? <laughs> So, I will pick supporting actress for Maria, I can't pronounce her last name, because she's not in the movie much, but she has a nice warmth to her. Uh, She's just a nice grandma performance. Like, I didn't hate her. 
like everything else in this movie. So I'll give it to her. This is going to be really hard for me to separate it. I guess best art direction. I thought the boat was pretty cool. Some cool, boat. cool sets with the boat. There's a part where you see, like, I forget if it's a church or a crypt or something, but it was it was nice. It was mainly the lighting, but... Mm-hmm. I will also give it to Maria Ospinskaya. Our article have a pronunciation guide. Does not. <laughs> no. Well, at least I attempted it. Um, yeah, I also think that part... I think that's the best part of the movie is when they go to visit her. And I think she's part of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. She's cool. All right. Add a nomination. Um, so I'm going to give it to uh, Best Score because I thought the score was actually really good. Um, it had a nice little motif to it. I don't know if that was a motif from the song Wishing. I don't remember. But good score. All right. My, my choice is the thing of this movie I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to. And I give supporting actor to Frank McGlenn Sr. He plays a character that's name is Picklepuss. Uh, <laughs> he's only in the movie for two scenes. I thought he was very good in those two scenes. He has a nice authority to him, but he's also very kind. And also his character's name is Picklepuss. It's not <laughs> really his name. They just okay. call him that. His real name is not mentioned in the film. Ergo... If he was included on the credits, which he isn't, he's uncredited on the film, uh, he, he would be credited as Picklepuss. So, uh, best supporting actor, Picklepuss. Uh, that's my pick. Why not give it to score? I guess um, Picklepuss. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, do think, I do think a lot of the times uh, I'll listen for a score in these movies just so I have another option for nominations. And, you know, I think this one is one of the better ones that we've listened to. So um, music obviously plays a big part in the story of this film. So it makes sense that it would have a good score um, to kind of support the technical side. But And I do want to emphasize that my I'm having trouble coming up with the nomination, but I don't think that's because the movie's necessarily bad. It's just because it, it's not good. It's just no, sorry. it's competent <laughs> with everything. Like I said, the only like bad part about this is I don't like the lead actor, but you know. I'm just tired. This was such a long episode we did. How does it? <laughs> we're at like what? 40 minutes? Gee, we're going over. All right. So Caleb. So Sarah, I have good news. The official yeah. 1930s. <laughs> Thank okay. God. Now, who wants to know who will welcome us into the 1940s? The raging 40s as they were. Oh, and I've been waiting to celebrate. I will finally make our theme song. Yeah! <laughs> 1940s. Alright. We'll be welcome to the... Oh, excuse me. Drum roll, please. We'll be welcome to the 1940s by a director we've met before. It is William Wyler in his film, The Letter, starring Bette Davis. It has... Let's go ask her anonymous, if I may say so. It was nominated for... I didn't load it up because I was too busy looking at the page. Seven Oscars. It won none of them. Wow. Yeah. Um, the 13th was Betty Davis the one who ran the USO Club in LA? 
I'm sure we'll talk about her next week. Uh, you know, I know of her because she was in the uh, Ryan Murphy show Feud, which I didn't watch. Uh, I just remember hearing about it and hearing Olivia de Holland suing FX for making it. <laughs> that was exciting. Uh, but yeah, in the letter, hopefully it's a good time. I trust Willie Wyler to give me something that's watchable. What, what do you make before on this podcast? Not if there's a Cellini. That was our boy DeCava. I don't remember. He did Dead End, which I didn't like, but I like Roman Holiday. So, I know he's a competent director. Dead End is my favorite thing we've watched. He also directed Wuthering Heights, which we all know is a big, big deal this year. So. There's a lot of, a lot of big movies. um, In the 19, in 1940. So, I mean. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of superstars. As I've, uh, I haven't said the two of them, even though we've alluded to one of them a lot. There are two bona fide classics we will cover that came out in 1940. Like, movies people still talk about today very positively. Um, one of them will be our Christmas special. That's one we've talked about before. Uh, so, yeah. That'll be exciting. But, for now, we gotta sign ourselves off. I'm Evgeny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Mints. You can also listen to my other podcast, Wise with Titan Dan, which we will now finally be having Sarah and Caleb on to talk about Spider-Man movies. It will be a fun time. We're also going to have Caleb on to talk about Chloe Zhao, who, I don't know if you've heard, is doing a Marvel movie that is weirdly premiering at a film festival. That should be illegal, but whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that will happen uh, very soon. So, listen to that, and of course, follow me on Letterboxd. I am Caleb Bunn. You can follow me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at The Myth King. And from any of those places, you can find my other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and All New 52, which I do with our editor, Joe. Thank you for editing this, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. I'm so excited for your Hot Trash Unlimited episode on Gabriel. Oh, oh that's wait. out. Oh, really? I kind of listen. Yes, and by the time we record this, our 50th episode on Suicide Squad is also out. Probably. Wow. You hate James Gunn. No, I know you're talking about the OG. Uh- <laughs> Anyways, I'm Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Letterboxd, Sarah Kanoff. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-A-Y 29. Um, you can find us. Our podcast, The Snub Club, on Facebook, just The Snub Club, uh, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast, I think that's what it's called, and then Twitter, Snub Club Pod. Join us in two weeks where we talk about a hopefully better film. Willie Wyler, don't let us down. We'll answer the letter then. All right. Bye. Bye.